Welcome to Biopics Mostly Suck, where we provide the true story behind movies based on a true story. Today, we're going to talk about the movie The Doors by Oliver Stone. How is it as a movie? Meaning, as entertainment. How is it as fact? Meaning, is it accurate? We're going to rate the movie on both fronts. We'll give you a score at the end of the episode. In between... We're going to talk about it. Come join us. If you're ready, let's get started. If not, just hit pause. We'll still be here. Well, so they say. It was legendary. Well, not even according to legend. According to multiple sources, biographers, band members, groupies. Now, now, here's what I wonder: Was he just waving it about, or, or, or was this like they were in, band members who were in the hotel room getting changed, and it's that type of thing? So, I think the best story that illustrates how the band members came to know Morrison's stuff so intimately was so you know the story about um, the night that they first did the door. Uh, sorry, the the end with. The section about the Oedipal section about mother, I want to mother, I want to fuck you, and father, I want to kill you, and you know that story. Is this in the recording or live performance? This is a live performance at the whiskey. Uh, go ahead. Okay. So they had been paid to play for a four-man band, and Morrison did not show up for the first three sets of the night, and uh, the owner said, "I'm not paying you." Because I paid for four guys. I didn't pay for three guys. I paid for four. <laughs> and so they, the doors take a break. They get in whoever's car. And they drive to Jim's hotel. Because he used to live in a hotel. He, he, you know, done on La Valencia. He would move in with Pam and then back, back and forth. But he lived in that hotel quite often. So they go to his house. They knock on the door. And, they, and this is how Manzarek describes it. He says he hears... Tip, 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 tip. Knock, Jim. <laughs> Jim, it's it's us. And then Manzarek says, Morrison cracks open the door, and he's in underwear and boots. <laughs> he invites the band into the hotel room, and he goes, Hey, man, do you want some? And he opens up a drawer that was full of vials of LSD that Manzarek describes as glowing he describes the you know, and we know manzarek's you know, penchant for exaggeration and you know but nevertheless the band frequently saw him naked let's put it that way and there are uh, oh oh did we really want to delve here uh, we may as well okay well there there is also photographic evidence to suggest as much really there's photos out there not actual so there's outlines <clears throat> so unless unless it's sock theory um, unless he's stuffing his pants with the sock. Uh-huh. So are we back on sticky fingers that we oh, started geez, out? We our, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that is. We're episode back, back to sticky fingers. That, that, that kind of brings us okay. full circle. All <laughs> okay. right. So, so, um, you're, a, you're a big fan of Morrison, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, mo- uh yes. 
<laughs> with with reservations. With re- okay, and, yeah. and I want to talk to you about this a little bit okay. before we get into talking about the plot of the movie. Okay, uh, and about the film, The Doors, and then of course about fact checking it. Yeah, yeah. But but you have digested a lot of information about Jim Morrison and The Doors, correct? Yes. yes. Oh, where would you like me to start? <laughs> <laughs> James Douglas Morrison. <coughs> Name, uh, occupation, uh, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> but all three band members have written books. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Krieger has written a book. Uh, John Densmore has written a book uh, called Riders on the Storm, which is it, uh, My Life with the Doors. Ray Manzarek wrote Light My Fire. Um, and then Danny Sugarman wrote, who was a part of the Doors management, wrote No One Here Gets Out Alive, which is the quote-unquote official biography of the Doors, which is contested by Manzarek and the others. So everyone has their own version of did, Morrison. Did Keneally write a book too? Oh, I don't know. I haven't read, um, okay. I've uh, read interviews with her, but I've never read her book. If no. she has one, that would be really interesting. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Maybe uh, fact check ourselves at the end of the episode. Absolutely. How did you become a fan of Morrison? And uh, what is the appeal? And, and I asked this through a jaded lens. Yeah. And the reason yeah. why is because when I look at Morrison, uh, outside of how he was depicted in The Doors. The film, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, the film The Doors. I, I think, you know, I think it would be very tiring to have been around him. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if I would have kept him as a close friend. Would you have kept him as, as a band member, though? The, that, because this is the interesting thing about the biographies. Depends on if he was worth the trouble. I mean, because that's what it comes down exactly. to, right? Because there's, exactly. there's a certain point, you know, you get into it for the music man, right? Right. It's all and, about the music. And, and then the you group. become a business. And then you become a property. And, and then you, you become, become a family. <laughs> you become an asset that needs to be protected, right? Yeah, exactly. So at, at what point in that churn of events that happen over the course of the life of a band, does Morrison make himself irrelevant through his behavior? So, and, and that's why I wonder what the appeal is because you know the movie did exaggerate his behavior. Yeah, but he did have that behavior. Yeah, and the cons- the consensus on the movie is that Oliver Stone took one dimension of Jim Morrison and magnified it mm-hmm. uh, into you know the the mythical stereotypical saint poet writer singer as alcoholic you know womanizing like the cliche every cliche in the book and he had that side but it's interesting if you talk to patricia keneally she'll say morrison was a southern gentleman he -hmm. opened doors for her he was kind he was soft-spoken and then you talk to pamela not that i've talked to these people but you read their interviews and he was a psychotic so you don't get a this comes through really strongly in densmore's book when John Densmore, drummer of the Doors, is talking about this exact problem. How much do we put up with before we say, let's get another lead singer? How much do we put up with before we say, like, it's just not worth it anymore? Um, and where did Densmore land on that? Miami was a big turning point for Densmore. And then when Jim announced he was going to Paris, Densmore was actually pissed because he thought, well, we have another record to make. So the the point the breaking point never came for him. He never said I'm going to leave the band because of Jim Morrison. Oh. But the constant worry was who is Jim's babysitter. Mm. 
But that's Densmore's perspective. If you read Manzarek's book, Jim doesn't have a babysitter. Jim is a free a free spirit flying through the cosmos, sprinkling wisdom among you know, bringing wisdom from the gods down to mm-hmm. earth. So again, it it really it really uh, it it it's so it's such, you get so many different perspectives on this one individual. Wow, interesting. And it's weird because the the Patricia Keneally thing is especially interesting because she says. I hate that movie. You know, I mean, for obvious reasons, they yeah. made her, you know, into a farce. But she says that's not the Jim Morrison I knew. Interesting. So I don't know. <laughs> so, so for you, what is the appeal of Morrison then? I, I mean, uh, the man, the musician, the poet. Which which part? Well, and I guess that's my question: is do you look at a certain perspective of Morrison? Yeah. Uh, do you dismiss other areas of Morrison? Yeah. So which which areas of him appeal to you and which areas do you dismiss? Okay, so so musically, I don't think that Morrison was very musically inclined. Um and that's not a dig. That's just a and he he said it too. They they tried to teach him to play guitar and he's like, "Nah, it'll take too long." So and I don't think that he's technically, you know, the greatest singer in the world. The thing so I dismiss that. Um I dismiss all of his behavior because to me I don't I don't connect art with morale with a person's personal morality. So I have he he could do whatever he wants and I can still enjoy his music, you know. The thing that I like about Morrison, the appeal of Morrison is the transcendence. His ability to hypnotize in essence a room full, a concert hall, a stadium, whatever it might be to the point that is almost religious and you you read that in the uh in the doors in the write-ups of the concerts and even from the band members themselves they say when we were on it was spiritual it was a spiritual experience now is that because of the lsd or apart from the lsd it's interesting because they they stopped the lsd after i want to say 68 morrison was was tripping like crazy um, but then he just became a drinker, and he stopped LSD. Huh. And so they still, and they went into that blues phase where they started doing all the old blues songs, mm-hmm. you know, the late '69 and '70. So it's 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 complicated, and I think he gets pegged too easily as a stereotype. But I, what I love about Morrison and what draws me to him is the power of the language, but also the way that it is transmitted, the way that it is presented is so it just sucks me in it just sucks me into a sometimes it's a dark hole and sometimes it's a breaking on through to the other side god forbid right um but nevertheless yeah that's that's the appeal it's the 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 power that the man had uh the power in his presentation the power in his words in his presence in his words in his his ability to manipulate and control an entire crowd full of people through his words gestures and music which is it's problematic too because he was start he was trying to start riots he was testing mm-hmm. the as he says testing the bounds of reality interesting so i that's really it's a really interesting space for me because I don't know. When I go to a concert, I'm not expecting for there to be a riot. Mm -hmm. However, I like the idea of going to a Doors concert if I could uh, go back in time and not knowing what is going to happen. Are they going to suck? Is Morrison going to show up? 
if they are on, how, how great is it going to be? Are people going to take their clothes off? Are people going to fight? I mean, you just, it's that element of unscripted. This is real. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the draw for me. It's there's, there's, there's a genuine authenticity to him or in the, in the persona. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you touched on some things that we're going to get to a little later on, okay? Uh, which I want to come back to. But let's go ahead and talk about the movie first. Yeah, yeah. And we'll first talk about the plot of the movie so people can become familiar with it again if they saw it many years yes. ago, because this movie came out in 1991. And, uh, so, you know, for a surprising number of people, this movie is their basis for their knowledge mm -hmm. on The Doors. Yeah. This has defined the doors for them, which that's problematic, too. That is very problematic because there's a lot in it that's wrong. <laughs> but we're going to get to all of yep, that. Yep, yep. I promise. So let's talk about the plot of the movie. The Doors by Oliver Stone stars Val Kilmer. And I remember when this movie was being cast. <laughs> Sorry. He, he just did his little Iceman <laughs> bite from Top Gun and it threw me. <laughs> Because uh, I remember when this movie was being cast, Val Kilmer was all the news because of how much he looked like Jim Morrison. Uh, Meg Ryan, Miss Pamela Corson, little miscast, I think. Oh, yes. Very miscast. Lane Morrison's companion, girlfriend, and partner. Uh, the rest of the doors are played by Kyle MacLachlan, who was also in Twin Peaks and is, is a great actor. Yep. Uh, he played Ray Manzarek. Frank Whaley was Robbie Krieger. And Kevin Dillard was John Densmore. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan portrays Patricia Keneally. Uh, Fling, love of Morrison's, so his wife. Technically his wife. Technically his wife, yes. Uh, which is interesting. You know Pamela Corson's uh, grave plaque has Morrison on it? Oh, Pamela. She, she hyphenated her last name, huh? No, there's no hyphen. It's oh. it's Corson Morrison. Oh, it's okay. No hyphen. Wow. Even though she was never legally married to Jim Morrison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess everyone wanted Morrison's last name or something. Apparently, she t yeah she talks about that though. She says what they had was real. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So I I believe it. Yeah. Uh, the film opens with Morrison recording his album of poetry, an American prayer. And it goes into flashback of Morrison as a young boy when he sees a dying Native American in a car crash in the desert. We move on to Morrison, now an adult in Venice Beach, studying film at UCLA with director Oliver Stone playing the film teacher. And we need to stop for a moment here <laughs> and talk about what is that thing on Oliver Stone's face? Number one, because... In, in this, I didn't realize wigs and fake facial hair were so bad in 1991 because <laughs> that's funny. I've never noticed that <laughs> because it is pretty bad. Yeah, uh, he plays the film school teacher yeah. at UCLA. Yeah, and my favorite part of that entire exchange has to be when Oliver Stone tells Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison that his student film is pretentious. Pretentious, yes. Pretty, pretty pretentious, Jim. <laughs> uh, now, now, mind you, if you've watched the movie The Doors, this is taking place in the context of a film that is pretty pretentious. About as pretentious as you can About get. About as pretentious as you can get. When you got Oliver Stone going, he was Alexander the Great. He was Achilles. <laughs> it's Jim Morrison. It's pretty pretentious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just a little pretentious. 
and he meets Ray Manzarek. He meets Pamela Corson, as well as meeting Robbie Krieger and John Densmore, who found the doors. Morrison convinces his new bandmates to go to the desert and take psychedelic drugs. They begin performing at the Whiskey A Go-Go on the Sunset Strip and meet resistance with the club owners. Uh, apparently something about a singer who sings about fucking his mother. Does what do you say? Fuck the mother? Does not, the- yeah. does not sit well with them. And as the doors become more popular, Morrison falls deeper and deeper into alcohol and drug abuse. He meets rock journalist Patricia Keneally, a journalist who is involved with witchcraft, and he participates in a Wiccan hand-fasting ceremony of marriage led by an older spirit who is played by Patricia Keneally. As Morrison's drug and alcohol use causes him to miss recording sessions, the other members of The Doors become more and more weary of his actions. While performing in Miami, Florida, Morrison exposes himself on stage, which results in criminal charges against Morrison, canceled gigs for the band, and personal relationships that go south as a result of Morrison's actions, not to mention the death of a Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, yes. Jim Morrison, you have ruined another Thanksgiving. (laughs) Which, I want to know, what did he do at the previous Thanksgivings? Yeah, I mean, that was... uh, My favorite is when when Babe Babe picks it up and goes, Fuck it, let's eat this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Uh, I love that character actor, that big guy with the beard there. Yeah. Uh, I love him. He was also in did you uh, another uh, movie based on a true story, Mask. Oh, I never saw that. You never saw no, Mask? No. Uh, with Cher no. and Eric Stoltz. Uh, it's about a kid named Rocky Dennis, and he had a condition where his bones in his face were elongated, and mm. uh, it, it was about, uh, you know... His life, his relationship with his mother, uh, that type, and teenage stuff. But uh, it turns out that where my grandparents lived, up in the L.A. area, in Mm -hmm. Covina, I think they lived the next city over. And my grandmother would see him all the time. So he was... Really? Yeah, he was out and about doing his thing all the time. But Mask is a good movie, and that character actor uh, plays a role in that, too. So that that, And that character actor is... uh, He's playing uh, Babe Rollins, who is one of... Jim's later drinking buddies who who he acquired. Oh, okay. that that caused division with the band too. Really? Jim, why? Oh, because Jim acquired a new set of friends who didn't the door. Really? So the doors themselves, Manzarek, <gasps> Krieger, and Densmore, they definitely experimented, but they were not addicts and they were not heavy users, um, in the way that Jim was or Morrison was. Uh, so Morrison got drinking buddies, and he would bring them everywhere. Brought him to Densmore's wedding. Really? So they were kind of like his drinking entourage. The Memphis Mafia, whatever, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, So the Thanksgiving turkey dies. Morrison ruins yet another uh, Thanksgiving. And in 1970, Morrison is found guilty of indecent exposure in Florida and is ordered to spend time in prison. While free on bail, Keneally tells him she's pregnant with his child, and Morrison then leaves for Paris, France with Pamela Corson. Morrison is found dead in the bathtub by Corson and is buried in, and pardon my French, you could probably pronounce the cemetery better than I can. Père Lachaise. Père Lachaise Cemetery. Père Lachaise. And the movie tells us that Morrison died of heart failure, and Corson died three years later. Yeah. So... The movie The Doors, what are your thoughts on the film? We we talked about Morrison, yeah. the real life person, a yeah. little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. 
But as far as the movie, uh, one thing I was thinking about today. Well, let's find out what you think. Okay. Um, my thoughts on the film are that it is an incredibly exciting film to watch. And it really makes you feel like you're there. However, I think anyone with even cursory knowledge of the band and the history of the band would have a real problem with Oliver Stone turning his own fantasies into and essentially writing his life into a story that Jim, that Val Kilmer is going to play and Jim Morrison is going to represent. It just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it matches. It also doesn't feel like it matches the performances that I've seen of the doors. Mm -hmm. It, It seems over the top. Uh, and I think you and I are on the same wavelength because one thing I was thinking today is, do we find out more about Jim Morrison in The Doors or do we find out more about Oliver Stone? Oh, that's a great question. I think Oliver Stone. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But but you're right. Even in the performances of The Doors, because uh, they show The Doors at Ed Sullivan. Yeah. And right. that's ex- that's exaggerated. Holy, holy exaggerated. Wait, wait. Couldn't get much high, high, not even close. Not he, even he mumbles close. it on Ed Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. And, and I read a couple accounts today. Uh, d- depending on whose version you believe, they they never agreed that they were going to change the line. Yeah, yeah, is one, uh, or they just performed it as they always have, and Morrison claims he forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morrison, he forgot, yeah, which, yeah. which is plausible. Which it's plausible, but again, what? This is the this is that part of the film that that dimension of the film that dri- that drives me crazy. I think there's enough in Morrison's life that you don't need to mythicize it. I think that there's enough there. You didn't that moment was unnecessary. You're, you're trying are you trying to make him more of a badass? I mean the guy already is li- he's a rock star living in the corner of La Cienega Boulevard. Yes. I, I mean come on, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go that far. Because the other interpretation is they were taking a standing up for the artist type of approach, yeah. which is the censors aren't going to tell us what to do. Right. And if you're Oliver Stone on that spectrum of choosing how to portray it, Oliver Stone being Oliver Stone is going to choose. Of course. Yeah. But and also, though, sorry to interrupt, but that's not Morrison's song. Robbie Krieger wrote that song. And they mention that in the movie. They do mention that in the movie, yes. but it's interesting because those aren't Morrison's lyrics. Some of them are. He wrote he wrote the second half of the song, I think. But so we're, we're mythicizing. Really, we should be giving the credit to Krieger there. Correct. For for the song for like the song mind. right, Absolutely. girl. We couldn't get much higher. It's so radical, and it's it's so it, the conflation of it, 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 that that kind of stuff just drives me crazy with the movie. Uh, which I read an article. It turns out in 2017, the people who control the archives for the Ed Sullivan show. Have you heard about this? No. They were able to find the line the censors wanted the doors to use instead. Because I think in the movie, the guy says, uh, can you say, girl, we couldn't get much better, yeah. right? Which, which doesn't even rhyme. So, so it doesn't make sense. The line, uh, and, and even the people at Ed Sullivan thought this was really funny. Uh, the line that the censors wanted the doors to substitute girl you couldn't get much higher with is girl you wouldn't need to inquire. About Morrison's Johnson? I, I, 
what are you inquiring about? So what are the Time to hesitate is through. No time to wallow in, in the, the mire. mire. Uh, try now we can only lose. And I love become a funeral pyre. Baby, you can light, you can light my fire. Um, the time to hesitate is to... Wait, where are we in the song? Hold on, I'm lost in the Girl song Girl, we couldn't get much higher. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, well, know that, you, know, you know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar ah. if I was to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Girl, you wouldn't need to inquire. Girl, you wouldn't need to inquire. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would really, <laughs> that would really pack a wall up. <laughs> I, I mean, it would work. Uh, all inquiries must be sent to Capitol Records at the... Uh, <laughs> the this, yeah. And I'm just hoping we didn't say too many lyrics of the song during this podcast to uh, we can cut them. to, to work. We, we can edit. Yeah, we can edit. No, no problem. Yeah. That's what editing is for. All right. Well, in this portion of the podcast, we're going to talk about the facts okay. of the movie The Doors, and let's go ahead and start with early Jim and Venice, because <laughs> the movie starts by showing Jim as a little boy on the road in the desert as they pass a car wreck with a Native American family. Yep. Uh, and what what have you found regarding Regarding that? the Native Americans? Yes. Uh, so there were, uh, there were a group of Native American, uh, it was a family, and Jim Mor- so Jim Morrison claimed, although every, I think almost every account I've read says that he it was all tongue-in-cheek with him. It, he never took it seriously. He didn't think he was a shaman. Um, but he he would go around claiming that the dead soul, uh, the spirit of the Native American, had flown into him as a child and that he had developed these shamanic powers. Okay. And Oliver Stone really decided to play that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that that's what I that that is what I have gathered. But but also that when Jim would tell it, it was with a wink and a nudge. Oh, okay. So he didn't take it seriously. No. Because he used it, he referenced it in lyrics. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Be- because apparently his mother and his sister uh, think that he really exaggerated on that one. They never mentioned it being tongue in cheek, but. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the, well, he told, and a lot of the stuff you couldn't, you couldn't trust what he said, but he told everyone his parents were dead. Yes, and they live just over in Coronado. Yeah, because his dad was in the military. Yep, interesting. Yeah. Now, why did he tell everyone his parents were dead? Uh, he hated his parents. Why? Uh, what happened? Uh, they they uh, just general discouragement from. They wanted him to be clean cut and follow the rules and be conventional. And when he would try to rebel, he had an overbearing father and uh, a mother that they just they weren't very supportive of his dream. Which, if he, if he had a dream at the at the time, uh, it was unclear. It was to be a it was to be a filmmaker. He wanted to go to film school or whatever. Um, but the interesting thing with the parents is that he told everyone they were dead. I mean, even the band members. And they're, really? they're, they're going, you, "Hey, your parents are here, or your mom's here." I don't got a mom. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. And so the deep, 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 deep animosity. But it's that's that's always been a mystery for me because I I mean I can understand just horrific abuse or, and you know who knows maybe it did take place but nothing screams out I gotta run away from these people and hate their guts and tell everyone they're dead. Yeah, and from what I've read, his his father never hit him. No, but took more of a military approach of dressing him down. Yeah, and so there's and there are the origins of 
the the anti-conformist and he doesn't want to be pigeonholed he doesn't want to be put into any kind of you know box or cliche or told what to do and there comes the anti-authoritarian or sorry anti-authority streak in him that rebellious test the limits of reality whatever that means interesting he's a trip you can't you can't believe what he says hmm I think because I see so much of it as performance. That's why even the interviews. Well, and here's my thought on it because you mentioned he was trying to start a riot. Yeah. And he could many times and he could manipulate people. Absolutely. But he was an addict as well. Yeah. And that's a trait with addicts. Absolutely. Right. Yep. So interesting. Yeah. It's really complicated. Um, and especially the time, 68, that's a bad year. That is that is not a great year. Um, and the I remember Manzarek talks about it. He says, you know, everyone in 67, everyone was flower power. And the doors were the antidote to that. We were the darkness. We were the darkness of the 60s. Which is interesting because Manzarek is the one who tends to speak in more flowery language and, yeah. and and you know, have rainbows and unicorns yep. and he, he doesn't seem to come from the dark at all. But that's where they that's where they all even Densmore says it. Um can't confirm with Krieger, because again, you don't hear much from Krieger. He's a, <laughs> he's a funny guy. Uh but uh yeah, they 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 all said that we were really interested in the darkness. We were interested in the darker pull. We weren't. We weren't the Jefferson Airplane. We weren't the San Francisco Sound. We were. A, we were a raw, dark, visceral sound. Well, now that you say that, uh, I mean, White Rabbit is not a happy song by Jefferson Airplane. No, but and, and a lot of the door stuff. Love Street is not dark. Light my fire. Hello, I love you. The thing. With I mean, the end most definitely. Yeah, so here's the thing with Morrison, though, is, and this is why I say you can't believe him. Morrison took really seriously the um, the French saying, the le petit mot, the or every or, you know every every orgasm is a little death. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, okay, yeah. For those of you at home, <laughs> Google it. Um, he he used the symbolism of death and sex. Uh, he he conflated those often, so death was sex to him, and Seth, sex was death, and vice, you know it went both ways. So hmm. for him lyrically, and he's taking that tradition from the French poets. Interesting. Yeah, it's it, it, and the other thing you got to say about the guy is extremely well read. They all were. Hmm. So where's he coming from? I don't know. Who's in his head? Is Rambeau in his head? Is I mean, there's so much, there's so much influence that you hear coming through Morrison. Yes, and, and when you say Rambo, you don't mean Rambo. You mean no, no, R I M B A O D. Yeah, the the poet. Ah, yeah. Okay. Not Sylvester Stallone. I, I just. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know when uh, Morrison and uh, Rambo were in the <laughs> in the jungles together. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify yeah, for yeah. people listening. All right, so. Speaking of film, though, yeah, uh, the movie shows Morrison showing his student film, which we talked about. Yep. Oliver Stone refers to it Absolutely. as pretentious. It shows um, a woman wearing a swastika armband on top of a television. Yep. And Morrison decides to quit film school. I quit. 
He he quits, which didn't happen. Nope, did not happen. Now now the film's not available. No, the film and they only they only kept the I think the the winners of the they would have their seminar and at the end of the year there were two or whatever they would select as the top and that film is lost to history. Densmore, however, Densmore is is for me Morrison's biggest critic, the drummer. Densmore is the pure musician, not a drug addict. Not I mean he you know took drugs and did did all that, but not in the Morrison zone. And um. Densmore is 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 the harshest critic of Morrison in my view, but he says um, he says he saw the film and he said it was a joke. He said it was it it was tame. Mm. He said that it was it was grossly exaggerated in the in the film. And Manzarek said the only thing that the student film and the movie had to do with the real student film is the actress was German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, plus, we should mention Morrison didn't leave film school. Yeah, he graduated with a Bachelor of the Arts. He's a college graduate. He was a college graduate, Bachelor of the Arts. And the name of that film that's lost to history is... That's not Lost Highway. No, that's the other one he made. Um, a Feast of Friends. A Feast of Friends, that's right. Okay. Which should not be confused with the documentary about the doors made by the doors called A Feast of Friends. Nor should it be confused with the poem on Morrison's An American Prayer album called A Feast of Friends. This Nor should it be confused with the song A Feast of Friends. <laughs> So obviously he liked the title. Yeah, huh? it's a good. It's title. a good title, Feast of Friends. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Like, it could have a double meaning. It's like to serve man. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it could have a triple meaning. It could be cannibalistic too. That's that's what I was saying. Oh, to serve. Oh, I thought you meant to serve as in to serve. Ah, <laughs> to, ah, to respect go. and honor, <laughs> honorably <laughs> take care of your fellow humans. So after Morrison uh, cuts out of film school in the movie, so to speak, uh, we're at Venice Beach, and that's where Manzarek and Morrison meet again. And uh, I, I just have to share how Manzarek writes about this interaction in his book, Light My Fire, My Life with the Doors. Uh, and here's what Manzarek said. And I see this guy in semi-silhouette wearing cutoffs without a shirt weighing about 135 pounds. I look again with more intensity, and who should emerge from the light from behind the sun into my field of vision, into my light of consciousness, but Jim Morrison. Oh, we're not done yet. Oh, I know. (laughs) Hey, Jim. Hey, hey, Morrison, I called out. The figure stopped looked in the direction of the call, and waved back. Hey, Ray. And he comes walking over to me, across the 25 to 30 feet of sand where I'm sitting off the shore break, and there standing in front of me is the new blue god, my buddy Jim, transformed. He looked great. He had lost all his baby plump, dropped 30 pounds, down from 165 to 135. His hair had grown out in soft ringlets, and he looked not unlike Michelangelo's David. Even more like busts I've seen of Alexander the Great. Maybe that's where Stone got that from. Probably. There's there are a lot of um there are a lot of lines that you can you can read through where uh Stone Stone uh cherry picked from the biographies th- and threw in some direct quote but so so there are direct quotes of the band talking about the band 
30 years later. Oh, you know, so, right? he, so he pulled from their books to create some of the dialogue. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. And Manzera continues in this fashion as he relays a, a banal conversation between him and Morrison. As he compares Morrison to Paul Newman and HUD, James Dean and Giant, and Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. So uh, Manzarek was an interesting guy. Very interesting. Very talented, too. Unbelievably talented. What can you tell us about Manzarek and his background? Jeez. Well, he's, he's got a blues background. He's from Chicago, uh, Polish. Um the the thing about Manzarek that it, it has always been so impressive to me, and there's a there's actually a really cool story about uh, when they played in Amsterdam. Um, they were always looking for a bass player, right? So he he was a piano player. He plays jazz, blues. He's just he can play anything, and they're always looking for a bass player. And they find this this little Fender Rhodes bass, and it's for the left hand. So that was the answer to their bass player not let's find a bass player oh i'll just play the bass in my left hand and i'll play the organ and i'll play all the organ riffs in my right hand and so he's so you know bass and and the lead organ that those are two different time signatures two different melodies two different rhythms going on so he's doing a bass riff over here and he's playing a lead on the top of it with his right hand right in amsterdam i think this was 68 Someone gave Jim like a big chunk of ha- uh, hash and he just put the whole thing in his mouth and, uh, of course, passed out and was unable to do the show. And the Dutch fans um, did not accept this news. Uh, that sounds like Dutch fans. Okay. Yes. And they demanded the doors. So Manzarek sang. Really? Played the bass with his left hand. The organ with his right hand and sang all the Doors material for that concert. Unbelievably talented. Now you play keyboards, yeah. piano. Yeah. How difficult is that? You said they have different time signatures, but to someone it, like me it, who who doesn't have that understanding, how difficult is it to do that and sing on top of it? It's not virtually impossible. It's it's this thing. Try to do two different motions with your hands, right? And like, then now try to add a third. Would it, would it up be- and down and then I, this is to, this is awful for radio but okay so you're doing a circle with your right hand mm-hmm. and up and down with your left that's really hard to do right yeah now add in a third thing that you have to do that is out of sync with those other two things that are already out of sync with each other would it be akin to what a drummer has to do or more difficult more difficult more difficult drummers wow. drummers keeping time interesting and filling interesting so 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 Manzarek is not only dr- so Densmore's driving the band Manzarek's driving with the bass he's also playing the lead and then this is the impressive thing to me he never sang those songs Jim Uh, always sang them yeah and he goes up and does like a two-hour concert in Holland pretty cool yeah fascinating individual um really involved with and 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 has been the uh counterculture movement the peace love Mm -hmm. and I, I mean he's really carried that torch uh, but yeah, I would say for me, Manzarek is just musicianship. That's, uh, that's what I get from Manzarek. It's unbelievable. If you watch him play, uh, he'll play Coltrane on the piano. It's, wow. un- oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I got to see him in the late, late eighties. In fact, I saw him when this movie was being filmed <laughs> because it was right about the time when they were putting out casting calls for extras okay. for the sunset strip. And I was working at tower records at the time. 
So, uh, so I was in that pipeline to hear about that type of stuff as well. But, um, uh, my, my now wife, uh, we were dating at the time. We went to a show over at Cal Poly Pomona where he played piano behind Michael McClure, who's a beat poet. Yeah. Uh, tickets were $2. Unbelievable. At the student center at Cal Poly Pomona. And it was amazing. He, of course, was talking about Morrison because that was in the air in Los Angeles at that time. It's like you were constantly getting updates about the movie being filmed, you know, Kilmer as as Jim Morrison or or Billy Idol breaking his leg in a motorcycle accident and because he has a role in the film which yep. had to be cut down but but there was always news about the film as the film was being made okay so it was it was in the air yeah and Manzarek would be talking about different aspects of Morrison and it, it, was it much of did it smack of the light my fire bio um yeah, it smacked like blue god. Okay, stuff <laughs> smacked like blue god, <laughs> like, like blue god stuff. Um, most definitely. And then he was always giving the allusions to, well, Jim's dead, or or is he? Oh yeah, that yeah, that, that type of thing. Yeah, so yeah. he was really into that. But but there's one thing he did that really stuck with me, because he said, "Don't ever do this to a piano." And I've always wanted to ask you this. Yeah, he had a grand piano. Lid was open. And he leaned into it, and he played the strings with a steel pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. While Michael McClure read poetry. That's so cool. Is that bad for a piano? It's really bad, but it's cool. It's a cool sound. It's a really cool sound. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You can do it with brushes, too. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's horrible for your strings. (laughs) Because piano strings last, I mean, you know, 40 years. They last last a long time. Really? Oh, yeah. You don't have to change. It's, It's once in a lifetime you change your piano strings. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Now, one of the cool, cool things that happened during this concert, actually after the concert, is we had bought Michael McClure's book of poetry and we got his signature in it. And then uh, we were waiting for Ray Manzarek. We're waiting by the room they had for him at the student center. And we said, oh, would you would you mind signing this? And he said, "Uh, let, let me go inside and rest a little bit. Then I'll come out and I'll sign whatever you have. And he goes inside, he closes the door, and then he opens the door like two seconds later. And I think there was, let's see, there, there were probably 10 of us who were standing out there. And he just said, you know what? They left me a lot of food in here. Why don't you guys just come in? Um, I'm going to rest. You guys can ask me any questions you have about the doors. And and we did. We hung out in Ray Manzarek's dressing room, and we just That's wild. chatted and talked and yeah, we ate his food. Yeah. Most definitely. He had a cheese plate and Nice guy. N- nice guy. I I mean, he invited ten strangers into his room. Yeah. You know, just just to hang out and chat right after a performance. So um yeah, I think it goes without saying. Nice yeah. guy. Very cool. nice guy. Yeah. He's always in, in 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 the interviews, he's always the most effusive, definitely. Uh but this is what Patricia Keneally said in real life. And I'm thinking of this in trying to trying to link this with the blue god thing patricia keneally said jim morrison's role was to present the gods to humans the the face of the god he was an intermediary an intermediary between the between the gods and not god with a capital g the pagan gods right the dionysus and all that kind of stuff he was an intermediary between and she 
thought that. She thought that was his role, was to present divinity to humanity and to show humanity what it was like on stage for, for two and a half hours. They got to experience it. So Manzarek is not alone, is my point, in his fascination with the mysticism surrounding Morrison. So are you saying Patricia Keneally thought Jim Morrison was the rock and roll pope? He functioned as it. In the same capacity. In the same capacity. Not that he believed it. Ah. It was an... This is Keneally, though. This is what Patricia... She says it was an act that was for show. The the whole... The the shaman, the shaman, the shaman stuff, mm-hmm. the invoking the spirit that Jim didn't believe any of that. He didn't believe they were in, you know, uh, Native Americans. What's the Robbie Krieger quote? I don't think Jim thought there were Indians running around in his head. Well, no way. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. So um, that's why I think it's just so problematic. And especially when we get into the fact and the fiction is people have some real uh, far out theories on Morrison. Yes. Yeah. You know, the one about, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get no, to no, it. No, no, we'll, no. Is it going to be later? Yeah, or? it's going to be later. Okay. Yeah. Then, then we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Pam and Jim. Pam and Jim. Now, when did Pam come in with the doors? Because in the movie... 68, I think, I want to say. They have him following her and climbing up to her balcony. In Venice, and Kissing yeah. her before even meeting her. It's like... Oh, Tate. No, but she was with another guy. And she was with <laughs> another guy. Yeah. So it's like... I mean, what girl couldn't like that? Well, but... And also, again, let's just comment on Oliver Stone here. Why is... That's fictitious. Why do you have the need to make Jim Morrison follow a girl home from the beach, climb up her tree, sneak into her bedroom, wake her up in the middle of the night? No, no, it was when she had a party. Oh, they were she was a, hosting a but, party when he first came Oh, the, up. that's right. And the move. Okay, the second part is when he sneaks but, but, in, and then they go out for which the... Which creeper? Hello. <laughs> He's like, hey, it's a beautiful night. <laughs> I mean, uh, what, what woman wouldn't swoon over that? Swoon! Oh, oh my goodness! Still, but yeah, but again, uh, again, uh, an unnecessary. Uh, Morrison made enough legends for himself. <laughs> you don't need to make myths out of myths, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, how did Jim and Pam meet? Uh, she came to a show at I think when they were playing. Oh, it must have been sixty-seven then, because they were playing the whiskey. She came to a show, and pretty soon after that, they were uh, London Fog. Oh, the London Fog. I'm London sorry, Fog. London Fog. Um, she came to a show, and then after that, they were on again and off again for until Paris, until they moved there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think she uh, Jim referred to her as his cosmic mate. Yep. And common law wife. Yep. And they were together for um, for quite a while. And after Jim died, she never recovered from his death. No. And she wound up prostituting herself to feed her smack habit. Yep. And died from a heroin overdose yeah, just re- a few years later. It's really sad. Yeah. And that's the, well, that's the end of the movie. But uh, the, the, the heroin rumors and all of the various uh, mysteries surrounding Morrison's death. But there, the, it, it is confirmed by the bios that. Pamela had gotten into heroin and Jim didn't like it. Um, and he, he had a fear of needles, actually. He was afraid of needles. He did, but he snorted heroin. He, yeah, I guess you could Yeah, you could overdose that way. Which which we'll talk about later. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. It's... Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So that, that's a shame. So I, what did Pam do specifically? I mean, uh, I know Jim had bought her uh, a clothing store. Uh, boutique, from, yeah. I, uh, I, I think with a royalty check from Strange Days. Oh, was that what it was from? That's what okay. it was from. Oh, okay. And then uh, she ran that for a little bit. But th- I, did I, she do anything else specifically? Not that, not that I'm aware of. I, I know that... They had this constant. I don't, no, I don't. I don't know what what else what else she did in terms of a living, but I know there was this constant. They both had Pam, Pam and Jim both had uh, repeated lovers that they would separate. They would separate from each other and kind of flee to their mm. their you know their uh, their respective people they were having affairs with. Um, and there was this. What, what, what is he a count? She got. Involved. I'm trying to remember. This is toward the end of the movie, but some some count who you know turn, ended up turning her on to heroin and uh, never. Actually, I have that for later on. Okay, okay. That's we'll we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, we'll yeah. get deep into that. Be- deep into the count. We're gonna get deep into Morrison's death. In fact, oh really? Because it's I don't know how much of it you know. I don't. I don't think I know very much. Ooh. No. Ooh. I I only I only know about three or four really good stories, but not um. Nothing current. Oh well, well then uh, let, let's go ahead and get through the rest let's of this get th- because this we, will be awesome. We we know the majority of what comes next in the stone in the doors movie it is just false and exaggerated. Yeah, and gratuitous. Uh, yeah. Uh, so speaking of Patricia Keneally and how she's portrayed in the movie, because mm-hmm. in real life she was a rock journalist. Absolutely. Uh, and in the movie, she brings him into the world of witchcraft and mysticism. They drink each other's blood take part in a hand fasting ceremony, become married in the Wiccan faith, and she becomes pregnant with Morrison's child, and she makes the decision to have an abortion. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, that, well, I mean, is this just going to be an Oliver Stone firing squad today? Well, well, (laughs) well, well, let's start out by saying, uh, I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes documentary. Yeah, I have. Okay. I, I thought first off, if uh, for the DVD of the movie The Doors, yeah. that behind-the-scenes feature, which is about 40 minutes long, I'm surprising how candid and critical and even self-critical it is of the process of making the movie. Because, Interesting, yeah. Because Stone talks about Keneally in particular, and, and this is an example of uh, how you have a character who is a composite character. Yeah. Which in the Doors movie, the character of Patricia Keneally is a composite of multiple women that Morrison knew throughout his life. Yeah. And not a representation of Patricia Keneally as she really was as a person. And on this behind the scenes feature, Stone even says, if there's one thing he would go back and change, it would be to give her a fictional name. Yeah. Rather than using Patricia Keneally's name. I still don't. uh, Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. I don't like the way he did. I don't like his apology, though. Why? Because it's couched in I suppose, and I it he well I was thinking this is this is how I remember that the Oliver Stone explaining it well yeah I thinking back on it now I suppose if if I had to do it again I would have made and it's just all these pauses mm-hmm. the Patricia Keneally character a separate character and it's, I don't I don't know I just I don't I didn't buy it. Well, even so, he didn't have to say anything at all on it. 
That's true. Right? Yeah, that's I mean, true. He could have just said, I'm not making a documentary, <laughs> which is the common line we hear used with biopics. Exactly. Where they say, look, it's art, it's entertainment, or it's my vision, or <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> uh, what anything they use to make an excuse of taking liberties, some of which need to be taken yeah. justly. Yeah. Uh, others, such as what happened with Patricia Keneally, are really wrong to do to a person, especially when they're still walking this earth. And, yeah, and they still have to go around living and breathing. Yep. Uh, and that feature also includes Keneally and her reaction to it. Yep. And how unhappy she is with Oliver Stone and how much it hurt her uh, being in a movie theater with people. And yeah. having that scene played where Morrison's kind of sloughing her off and the laughs that were coming from the theater yep. crowd. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't imagine... Uh, being an advisor on a film, which she had the role of doing. Yeah. Right? And then having that type of treatment from the people who are making the film. Yeah. Well, I, I think what she, she said was, Oliver Stone had the makings of tragedy, and he turned it into, into farce. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he, she said it was meaningful, you know? And he just turned it into, a, like you said, the, her listening to the laughter in the theater. Yeah. Morrison says I was stoned. I didn't. Right. I mean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a hard. That's a that's a really hard one to watch and to and to think about because yeah, it's now Pat- Patricia Keneally has been pre stereotyped, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh yeah, you're <laughs> you're that witch chick that Jim Morrison knocked up, right? I mean, it's like, like that's that's kind of how she get the treatment. You she introduce gets. them to drinking each other's blood, right? Yeah. which she never did. Yeah. That that wasn't something she did. So, uh, by the way, the documentary is called "The Road to Excess." The Road to Excess, yes, which is from William Blake. The Road to Excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom. And if you do watch the movie The Doors, if you have an interest after listening to this podcast, then I highly recommend watching that feature as well. I think you can find it online. Yeah, definitely. Well worth watching. So Morrison in Miami. Morrison in Miami. Uh, we started off the podcast talking about... Junkin' uh, Schlongs. Junkin' Schlongs, which we did at the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Yes, sir. But Miami, yeah. this was 1970, right? Or was it 69? Uh, 69. 69. 69. Let me, let, let me ask you. Okay. How, how do you think the movie did? In representing Miami? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't there. I was... Just based on, based on the factual uh, uh, accounts. Um, factual accounts seem to vary. Uh, yeah. Densmore says he didn't see Morrison do it, but I really question the point of view of the guy behind the drum kit yeah right so yeah uh whether morrison did or not what's important is the authorities in florida thought he did and even more importantly a jury thought he did and for people who don't think that as long as they don't do anything wrong they can't get into trouble you just need the right number of people to think you did something yeah yeah there, but yeah, the, the all of the the eyewitness accounts are problematic. The relatives, um, the police accounts, because again, he wasn't arrested immediately. They're, everyone was cool for a little while. Oh, because in the movie they arrested right, him right they drag him off stage. stage. No, they, no. So he wasn't arrested immediately. Um, the, and that's why they said they were so surprised by it. Mm-hmm. The Doors, they said, like Jim's done this a million times. He's tried to start a riot a million times. Why now? And um, 
everything was cool and all of a sudden they get word that he's been that charges are being pressed and that he's you know <laughs> going to go on trial so that it was a, it was a surprise to them that yeah. that it had worked out but they all insist he didn't do it and you know Ray Manzarek's line on it no no so here we go with more great Ray Manzarek <laughs> so for anyone listening just watch Ray Manzarek on Jim Morrison's death and there's a, there's a YouTube video, um, but he, he addresses Miami in it, and he says, What happened in Miami was that Jim Morrison was out there, and he said, You guys aren't here to see a rock concert, are you? You're here to see something more, right? And the audience goes, Yeah. And he says, What do you think? What is it that you came to see? You want to see it? You want me to show it to you? And yeah, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> and Zarek says, and Morrison convinced the entire auditorium. It was a mass hallucination. He implanted the thought in their minds, and they actually saw his member, which he never took out. That's Manzarek's explanation. It was a mass hallucination. Okay. Well, whether it was or not... <laughs> The state of Florida thought it was. Yes. <laughs> and the state of Florida ever since then developed quite a good track record when it comes to different forms of popular music as well. With two live crew in the 90s and other uh, Okay, I won't go. Yeah, so we, we won't go down the road. But Morrison, um, who he was found guilty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was sentenced, I think, to six to eight months, something like that, uh, of, of labor. And, um, but the, it's funny, the guilty charges, right? There were four counts, I think, mm-hmm. uh, simulated, ma- no, an indecent exposure, public drunkenness, which he got off on. Okay. <laughs> he didn't get the drunkenness charge. He got the indecent exposure, but then they also had him for, he used to get down on his knees and watch Robbie play slide guitar. Uh-huh. And... And, and the doors, and this was another thing that the, I, th- I feel like the movie did did not do that scene too well. Um, all the doors said that um, Jim used to do that all the time. He would get down, and he was fascinated with the slide guitar, and he would, he would, you know, he was fucked up, and so he was fascinated with the slide guitar, and he would just watch it on his knees. And so Florida says, "Well, that's imitation of fellatio uh, on stage." And so his they, head is at Krieger's pelvis and level, and moving back and that forth. That was actually a charge, but that was that one got dropped. Yeah, so it's really it's it's bizarre. The trial is bizarre too. Everyone has their version of what happened at that concert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, wow! But he was found guilty, and he was out on bail. Mm-hmm. How was he able to leave the country for France then? Hell, if I know. I have no idea. I mean, did maybe was it a, a state thing? I don't. I, I have no idea. But I, that's one question I've always had. That's a really interesting one. How was he able to get out of the country? Because if you're out on bail, usually they might take your passport. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to look into that because because he ends up going to Paris, and, and this isn't something that gets talked about a lot when it comes to Morrison, but but it looks like he was fleeing charges. Yeah, and that's it's a really interesting uh, thing that no one points out. No, people go, oh, he went to. uh, Manzarek says, oh, he went to. He's going to go be a poet. He's going to go be a writer. That's a really interesting point, though. Uh, If if you're found guilty and you're out on bail, and your next step is to serve the sentence, 
you're skipping out. Yeah. Is what's happening. Yeah. I know they I know that they had told him that they could drag that appeal out for years. So I know that he wasn't frightened of facing jail time mm-hmm. because the, his lawyers had told him, look, this will go on for six years at least. We'll keep you out of jail. But at this, the accounts of him going to Paris, are, and those all differ too. Um, Densmore was really upset about it. Manzarek thought it was a great idea. Manzarek said, hey, man, we'll, we'll be back here waiting for you. Go write. Go be a poet. Go, you know, go do your thing. Manzarek was excited. I don't think Krieger had an opinion about it. Uh, but, uh, th- but they were all, they were just waiting for him to come back to record their next album. Wow. And he did go and write. He had his yeah. writing books with him. Yeah. And was doing that out there. Uh, I saw, I found a web page that had what were purported to be the last pictures of Morrison. No way. And uh, I'll have to, uh, this will be yeah. on the website. I'll have to show it to you. But he was, um, he, he wasn't looking quite fat. Okay. But really bloated. Yeah. Really, really puffy in the face. Did he, and did, was he clean shaven yet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Clean shaven, but he was looking really, really puffy. Um, so, so he and Pamela are in Paris. Yeah. They're hanging out there. And they make, a, they make a new group of friends. They make a new group of friends. And in the movie, Morrison is found dead in the bathtub, which is how many people picture it. Mm-hmm. Is, and I think that's what the common thought is, is Morrison's body at the age of 27 just yeah. gave out. He had done too much to it. Yeah. He's in the bath. and With a smile on his face. With a smile on his face, and he just dies. Yeah. Turns out there's a little more to it. Oh, this is going to get interesting. Oh, okay. And this is something you you don't know. No. I'm, I only know a few of the legends about, uh, about and they're good ones, but they're, I, don't, I don't know factual stuff about uh, Morrison's ah. death. So well, let's talk about what was happening that night. So what happened that night is Morrison went out to score uh, heroin for himself and Pamela Corson. At a club. Uh, at the Rock and Roll Circus. Right. And there was like, it was, that, that, was a, that was a famous uh, smack joint, right? Absolutely. Was, yeah. yeah. And, and it turns out that what happens is Marianne Faithful, the singer, mm-hmm. was dating a guy there in Paris. And this is the Count who you were referring to. Yeah. Uh, the Count's name was Jean de Portel. And it turns out that he and another guy met Jim at the Rock and Roll Circus. Uh, Jim Morrison was at the bar and Sam Burnett, who is a former Paris nightclub manager, mm-hmm. he was 26 and working at the Rock and Roll Circus at the time. He had seen Jim come in frequently. He saw him there all the time. So when Jim was there with two guys and then suddenly Jim disappears from the bar, Sam Burnett became a little concerned. So he goes to the bathroom and that's where security kicks down the stall. And by Sam Burnett's account, they find Jim Morrison, ashen gray, on the toilet with foam coming out of the corners of his mouth. Now this is when you get into a piece of competing interests okay okay because sam burnett says he wanted to call for help right away but the owner of the club didn't want to get involved in a scandal the two drug dealers are there at the stall they definitely don't want to be anywhere near this thing 
So they say, no, no, he's just unconscious. We're going to take him to his bathtub in order to revive him. So they carry him and put him into the bath. Whereas at the same time, you also have Pamela Corson, who when she was questioned by French authorities, she reported that she was Morrison's cousin. Hmm. So because she's an addict, she doesn't want to get caught. So you have a bunch of people who don't want to be involved with Morrison's death, who don't want to get caught in some perspective of Morrison's death. And the official story becomes Morrison died in the bathtub. There was no autopsy performed because Pamela Corson didn't allow one. Um, So his official cause of death is listed as heart failure. Uh, Now, what I'm curious about is how was he, how did he become interred in Pierre Lachaise? Because Oh, he wanted to be buried there. Is that the proper pronunciation? Père Lachaise. Père yeah. Lachaise. I was yeah. close. Yeah. So, pardon my French. Because I thought of, uh, it's a French cemetery of artists and poets. Yep. Dick. So, was it common for them to allow foreigners to be buried there? No. Uh, well, no, for foreigners, yeah. But they were very hesitant about Morrison. And actually, there have been a lot of problems over the years with his grave. Uh, so I, they didn't want him there. It was a fight to get him in there. And then the bust that they originally put up, there was so much vandalism and so much, and it was just like desecration basically of a grave that they had to remove the bust Mm -hmm. and replace it with the James Douglas Morrison, just the little, the little stone. But they've. There, Père Lachaise Cemetery is not a fan of Jim Morrison's presence there. Because he was buried just a couple days after his death. Yes. So it wasn't a very long argument that took place. Have you found anything else about the the death? The Because, the, you know, so Manzarek, when they got the call that Morrison had died, mm-hmm. they said, okay, we're going to send Bill Siddons over, the manager. And Manzarek said to Siddons, Look, man, I don't care what you do. Just make sure you see the body. And he didn't. He didn't insist. It was a closed casket. Siddons walked into the room. And he, he and of course, what are you going to do? Ask someone to pry open a casket? Give me a break. Manzarek is still on this trip that, you know, Jim may be out there. Um, there are also, you know about the, the rumor that he went to Ethiopia? No. Okay. No, tell us about that. So that's so that comes from uh, so Rambo the poet um, was also who very much Jim Morrison modeled his life on or at least was a kindred spirit of um, you know radical uh, did all kinds of crazy shit but was also a poet um, he just disappeared and he went down to like run guns in Ethiopia yeah and uh, <laughs> and, and and so people say that. Morrison followed his idol and just disappeared into into Africa. Anyway, that's one of the stories. If what Sam Burnett says yeah. is the correct sequence of events, then then he died in Elvis' death. He died on the toilet. Oh man, an Elvis' death. Yeah, is that corroborated? That's that account. Yes, it has been corroborated by uh, medical personnel. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I was Lieutenant asking. Morrison as okay, well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, because every what was the great quote from uh, Manzarek when he says, 
they were doing something on the death of Jim Morrison. This was like 15 years ago. And he says, they're about to exhume Jim Morrison's body or the, the, the casket. And when they do it, I will be there to make sure. <laughs> he still... The more I hear about Manzarek, the more I love him. I know. Uh, no, I you just want to hang out with him all the time. Like, you crazy bastard. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep doing it. <laughs> just keep doing your thing, which unfortunately he's not because he yeah. passed yeah. as well. But yeah. but yes, God bless Ray Manzarek. Absolutely. My goodness. Now, due to the confusion surrounding Morrison's death, there was a news delay before the death was announced to, Morris- to American media. And Morrison's father had difficulty getting the facts surrounding his son's death. Um, I know Morrison's parents visited the grave once. Hmm, I didn't know that. But they've never commented on why they didn't have him move to the United States. Uh, There's never been a comment from them on that. But what we do know is the last known words that Morrison wrote in his notebook. Have you heard those? No. His last words written in his notebook were, Last words, last words, out. That'll send a chill through you. Yeah. Uh, in his will, he designated Kurson as the beneficiary. After she died in 74, her family and Morrison's family became co-owners of the estate. And that's where it sits now. And... As we said earlier, she died a few years yeah. after Morrison. Yeah. So sad tale overall. Oh, but... it's incredibly sad. And it, and it's that's another problem I have with the movie. I feel like it glorifies. I feel like it glorifies. I, I, I feel like Oliver Stone has completely misinterpreted what, what the road of excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom means. And, and I would agree. And I'm not usually one to be a fan of because something is depicted, that's glorification. Right. Right. Because I think there's a lot of times things are just depicted because they were. Yeah. Uh, and people yell and scream, oh, no, they're smoking a cigarette. You're glorifying. No, they're they're just smoking no. a cigarette. But um, but but I would say most definitely because when I saw this movie in 1991, I saw it at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. I, I didn't leave with this romantic ideal. Oh, okay. I, I left thinking, wow, that's fucked. Interesting. Because in the end, what we're really watching was with Jim and Pam yeah. uh, are a pair of addicts yeah. uh, and addictive behavior. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about him wanting to incite a riot, he could control a crowd. Yeah. Those are behaviors of addicts. And it ended for both of them, like yeah. it does, unfortunately, for a lot of addicts. Yeah. So I, I didn't leave at all with that whole, oh, what a romantic notion yeah. In, in any way, I, I just left thinking, what a waste. I mean, I, I wonder what else he could have done. But as we were in the lobby leaving after the movie, there was a group of young people nearby who said, oh, we should all go to the desert and take peyote. Okay, and I'm like, so you, oh, you guys just missed the fucking. Yeah. Missed the point. Yeah. Unless they got the point Stone was making. And that's, right. That, that's the thing is that it's. Um, you know, Bernie Toppin, Elton's, uh, Elton John's lyricist, has a great line about Morrison. He said, listen, there's nothing heroic, romantic, or remotely pleasant about being a fall-down drunk. Yeah. 
And he said, any attempt to glamorize that in any form is is, is essentially bullshit. Because um, he went through it too. Um, but and, and he references Jim Morrison, and he says, he says, I hate the way that the press deifies these people yes. who destroy themselves because it's destroying yourself is not fun. It's not a romantic process. It's an awful process, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I mean, uh, I've had my rare instances where I'm around other people yeah. and excess has taken place. I don't think anyone would call my actions romantic in any way. No. And, no. and neither, neither the, the people it's it's not romantic and that's uh, also the thing it, it wasn't just the drugs and the alcohol it was the behavior i felt was romanticized yes it, that that's sociopathic behavior yes in many ways if it's for a good cause i could maybe see some rationalization behind it right like you and ends justify the means or whatever but i just felt that oliver stone wants to be Jim Morrison, wanted to be Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. And that bullshit at the end when he's saying how he misses Jim Morrison and he has a tear come to his... Yeah. What, were you friends with him? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, is he romanticized because he died young? Well, he, there, there's a lot of... the. It's the it, there's the 27 Club thing. Absolutely, yeah. So there's that. There's also the myth of the alcoholic drug addict musician. Mm-hmm. There's the myth of the alcoholic writer, the alcoholic poet. I mean, we can we can just go down the list of names of people who are in this canonized, mythologized category. Well, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. I mean, just I'm just you can go <laughs> John Keats. I mean, you can go you can go really far back. And this thing, it's a, it's not a current phenomenon. It's it's, it's I think it's a universal phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Is that we we deify these people, who, their behavior. Who, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. Who are insanely talented in many respects. Exactly. Right. But along with the talent comes often that spiraling sense of self-destruction. But do you think some of the deification, some of the romanticism comes from dying young? Because Oh, yeah. Because if Morrison died in Elvis' death, yeah. what's really the difference other than age? Yeah. Right? I mean, how is Elvis regarded? Thin Elvis, fat Elvis. Yep. Thin, right? Yeah, yep. And him dying on the toilet is looked at as sad. Yeah. And there's the, so that's that myth. And Oliver Stone actually talks about it in that in that behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, when he starts talking about it. It's Alexander the Great. It's Achilles. Mm-hmm. It's Jim Morrison. And he says, to go out in your prime mm-hmm. uh, yeah. is that's because you're... He, People don't see the 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 wane or the decline that you go out on top exactly, and so you're frozen in that moment and you're deified forever. And right? I think that's what that uh, school of thought means it, is that the best thing Morrison could have done is die. Is it freezes the doors in time? It freezes them. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny when I was when I was a, when I was younger, I loved the movie for the movie. Mm-hmm. I watched it a lot of times. I watched it many times, and then I just could i don't know I, I the thing that changed is i saw a uh the a couple of dvds of a doors live show and i went what mm. that's not the that's not the dude from that's not even the performer i saw in the movie yeah and so i i i couldn't i can no longer connect to val kilmer's character val kilmer playing jim morrison to any reality got it if there is one relating pertaining to Jim Morrison, you know, he looked a lot like him. Oh, and he sang all the songs. Yes. And he used to have a Doors cover band. 
I did not know that. And yep. And that's that's how he actually got um Oliver Stone to let him sing the songs. He said, "Okay, here. We're going to take a drive around, you know, Mulholland or whatever and um I'm going to play you four songs. Two of them are Morrison, two of them are me. You have to tell me which ones are which." And they were all Val Kilmer. Oh, nice. And Stone couldn't guess. And he he went, "Oh, those two. No, those two. No, those two. No, those two." And he said, "No, it's all me." Nice. Interesting, yeah. So, let's rate this film. So, as a movie, as a movie, The Doors, one to five stars, we give it four. A four? As a movie? As a movie. As a movie. Piece of entertainment, yes, as a movie. Totally divorced. Four out of five. You well, I'll it. give it a 4.5. 4.5? Yeah. So you raised it. Entertainment value? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'll go three. Okay. Uh, I'll go three on okay. that. So three, four and a half. Yeah. We'll average it out there. And the other criteria is how well does it present the facts? Um, grade scale of A through F. Mm, hovering around a D plus, maybe. D? I don't know. Yeah, we'll go D. D. Uh, like not not average. You're not you're not hitting the normal points that no. would qualify for a C. I think. Yeah, it's a little below passing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think so. We'll go with a D. Yeah. So back to the big D. Back to the big D. All right, John. Thank you much for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. Now is the time when we fact-check ourselves. We come to these discussions prepared, but sometimes the discussion takes us into areas we weren't prepared to answer. For instance, we wondered why Morrison was allowed to travel to Paris after being convicted on two misdemeanor counts of profanity and indecent exposure in Miami, Florida. I have not been able to find a solid answer in my research, except that he was allowed to remain free while he appealed his sentence. If anyone has more information, please contact us at biopicsmostlysuck.com and share your wisdom with us. We also talked about Patricia Keneally Morrison and wondered if she also wrote a book about the Doors and Jim Morrison, just as Ray Manzarek, John Densmore, and Ray Sugarman had done. In fact, she did write a book that was released in 1992, the year after the movie The Doors was released. It is titled Strange Days, My Life With and Without Jim Morrison. Keneally Morrison is also a prolific author in the fantasy genre, and she releases her work through her own publishing house, Lizard Queen Press. She also publishes rock and roll murder novels with the character Rennie Stride, a rock reporter detective, and her boyfriend Turk Wayland, a superstar English lead guitarist. The series blends real bands and locations with fictional characters. Some of the titles include Love Him Madly, Murder at the Whiskey, Go Ask Malice, Murder at Woodstock, and Scareway to Heaven, Murder at the Fillmore East. I would have been happy to share a link for Lizard Queen Press, but there does not seem to be a website for it. Keneally Morrison is on Facebook, and she has posted a list of rules for those who wish to communicate with her. You're not allowed to say the word shit, but you are allowed to say the word fuck. You are not allowed to talk about Jim Morrison, and you are not allowed to use internet abbreviations such as LOL. OMG and emoticons are allowed because they amuse her. 
Did we miss a fact check for this episode? Did we get something wrong? Or do you want to just let us know how we're doing? Send us a message through the website, biopicsmostlysuck.com, and let us know. And there you have it, The Doors by Oliver Stone, a pretentious film that presents one side of Jim Morrison and little of anyone else. It gets a solid four stars as a piece of entertainment, but for the facts, we graded it a D. On the biopics Mostly Suck Truth Meter, that means it is inspired by something somewhere, and there is a germ of truth in this movie. I want to thank John Helix for sharing his knowledge of The Doors, both the band and the movie. John is a local singer-songwriter in the San Diego area, and you can find his music almost anywhere you go to get your downloaded music. Or, you know what, just go to johnhelixofficial.com and give his website some hits. While we're sending out the thank yous and the appreciative vibes, I want to thank you for taking part of your day to listen to our little old podcast here. Be sure to give us some love and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Visit us at biopicsmostlysuck.com where you can find the podcast platforms where you can find us. And you can also drop us a line and let us know how we're doing or just recommend a movie where we can find the facts. Today I'm going to send you out with some music from John Helix. Please enjoy his song that goes with today's movie. Hey, Lizard King, from his album, Tune Out, Turn Off, Disconnect. Take care, everyone.
delivers me to.